0: 18 plus
3: pittsburgh steeler fans it is time once again for here we go the Steelers show my name is brian anthony davis i can't do this show without kt smith in fact He should actually be the headliner of this show. KT, what is going on?
2: Oh, nothing. Just uh, mourning the loss of football a little bit. The Super Bowl is in our rear window, and uh, we're not going to have any real football for a while. But there is plenty to talk about, so that's exciting.
3: There's absolutely plenty to talk about. Look, I know who you were rooting for in the game. I kind of changed my allegiances a few times leading up to the game. I thought that after that first series that this was going to be the Philadelphia Eagles forty two and the Kansas City Chiefs maybe lucky to get to seventeen. So I wanna t- i I wanna not talk about the holding penalty until we talk about everything else. Yeah. When we look at that certainly fair. When we look at that, Kevin. It was back and forth for a while. It was shaping up to be one of the best Super
2: Bowls ever. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. It was an exciting first half, and then uh, when it felt like Philly was going to put the game away, Kansas City uh, came out in the second half and played lights out, and they took the lead. It looked like they were going to pull away, and then the Eagles had that great drive and the, uh, to pull within two, and heck of a run by Jalen Hurts to get in on the two-point conversion, to tie the game, and... And it looks like the Eagles haven't stopped and Kansas city is going to kick a field goal to go up by three and Philly's going to have a chance to come down with about a minute and a half left and a couple of timeouts. You're going to get just one of those classic endings, you know, it just unfortunately didn't work out that way at the very end.
3: Now this was brought up in Dave Schofield on our Slack channel. He's really good at this and he's, he thinks differently a lot of the time and he has contended this for a while. Now, No, this game wasn't scripted. I I had some buddies say, oh, it was scripted. It's WWE. Now, stop it. I don't agree with that. But when Dave says that when it's a close game and whoever's losing is probably going to get the benefit of the doubt. Now, the score was 35-35, but do you kind of feel that because they were stopped on third and eight that the chiefs got that call because if it's, if it's 50, 50, you know, maybe go that way because Philadelphia's going to might have the chance to come back.
2: No, I don't think, I don't think that the circumstance had anything to do with it. I've talked to a lot of officials and in, in all the years that I've coached uh, some, some guys who have coached at the high college level, I've uh, never talked to any NFL refs, but guys that have coached in championship games, uh, bowl games, high school championship games, et cetera. And across the board, they'll tell you that the officials like the coaches meet before the game. They, they scout the teams. They know what the team's tendencies are. They go into ball games, looking for certain things. they, the bigger the game gets, the more the memo becomes, you know, don't impede the football game. Don't insert yourself unless you have to let the game get, you know, play out as much as possible. Uh, but but like, you know, like with athletes every once in a while, the plan goes out the window or, or you see something and you react to it. I mean, I really think what happened there was that that official saw something Uh, on that third and eight call that he believed was a hold and he reacted to it and he threw the flag. And I think it was a little bit more obvious because it was an out and up route and those out and up routes lend themselves towards defensive holding. Anytime uh, a corner or D back gets double moved, there's going to be a tendency for that person to reach out and grab. And so if you're evaluating the call by the letter of the law, it was the right call. I think the controversy comes in and, and my problem with the call because I was very I was upset by the call. Not, not because of a rooting interest, more so because of I felt like the call robbed the football world of a classic ending, a game that had been building towards this crescendo. And instead, you just mm-hmm. got the air let out of the balloon. You know, my problem was that you know they hadn't made that call all game long. All game long, there'd been holding and grabbing. There were a couple uh, plays earlier where they even profiled the defenders, reaching and grabbing a little bit, and they'd let it go, let it go, let it go, and then they flag it at the last minute. And I just that's where my my problem was. You know, it's like it's like in a baseball game where where they're they're letting the high strike go. They're not calling the high strike all game long, and then all of a sudden in the bottom of the ninth they call the high strike, and you know that that inconsistency is what bothered me. Now I'm going to
3: ask you a question because I know that the, the call did bother you and I love how you explained it. I think it's fantastic. And you put on our Slack channel right away. I think it was something along the lines. If that call would have went against the Steelers, I would have been completely up in arms. Something like that. (laughs) Is that correct? Like
2: I said, I wouldn't have slept for a week. (laughs) Now let me
3: ask you this. What if that was the Steelers on third and eight? And that was Deontay Johnson instead of instead of uh, George Pickens, excuse me, instead of uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. What if that call went in favor of the Steelers? I'd
2: be thrilled. I'm a hypocrite, like, like all the fans <laughs> are. you know. Like, you don't have on, to say man. that. You don't have yeah. to call yourself a hypocrite, but well, we are. Most fans are are fairly well. Hypocritical might not be the right word, but certainly jaded, or certainly not looking at things through exactly an even keeled lens. I mean, you root for, Yeah, I mean, I think in the moment you probably would have found a reason to just say, yeah, that was holding, that was holding. And then you step back from it. Maybe you could be a little bit more rational. It's easier to be more rational when you don't have the rooting interest uh, that you do when it's your favorite team. But I'll have to say this, even yeah, again, I'm surrounded by Eagles fans here in South Jersey. All, All my closest friends are Eagles fans. Uh, We had a Super Bowl party at our house. We had 25 people there, and they were, you know, all of them were Eagles fans. Um, And yeah, a a couple of them were upset, but but most of them felt, and this is sort of, I mean, for Philly, this is really surprising because you know Philly is a reactionary place. Most of them felt like that wasn't why the Eagles lost the Super Bowl. They lost the Super Bowl because they didn't have a good enough game plan in the second half. They kind of got outcoached a little bit in the second half by that veteran Philly's young coordinators kind of, you know, got handed to them by Kansas city's veteran coordinators. And then, uh, you know, the Eagles gave up a a touchdown to the Kansas city defense and basically a touchdown to the special teams where they run a punt back to the five yard line. You give up a a defensive and a special teams touchdown, you're going to lose the game. And so most of the, most of the fans that I talked to were, We're fairly understanding, which I have to admit was a a moment of uh, sort of semi enlightenment for Eagles fans.
3: You know that actually shocks the uh, bejesus out of me. I I am, (laughs) I am, I do like, I did like what I heard from James Bradbury. I thought that was very classy, with James Bradbury saying, "Yeah, it it was a hold," and I I thought he was well spoken. How are Philly fans right now treating James Bradbury? Are they treating him like a goat? No, or not no, the greatest he, of all time. Goat, not the the no, old school goat.
2: Not, not, no, not that I've seen. I I don't know. I haven't I haven't uh, surfed through the wasteland that is Twitter to to see exactly what's going on there, and I haven't gone on Bleeding Green Nation or anything like that to really hear what the fans are saying. But just to the people I've talked to, and uh, it's just I think people people get it, Brad. I think Nick Sirianni really sort of struck the a, a tone that people have adopted right after the game when he said hey I didn't love the call but that's not why we lost we lost because dot 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 he laid out all the things that the Eagles could have controlled that they didn't and I thought that was a great message I'll tell you what a quick story our our football team you know we, our Ocean City team that I coach there was a flood on christmas eve in the school that destroyed our weight room and and one of our our gymnasiums and so our weight room has been off limits ever since uh we came back from winter break and you know we're in the middle of our off-season training this is one of the most important things that we do is weight train as a team both for the physical aspect of it but also the team bonding aspect and we had to figure out away i mean we have a team slogan we use all the time find a way that's our that's our team slogans on the back of our shirts and things like that and we had to find a way how how are we going to weight train in the winter with no weight room and we literally they gave us the 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 insurance is going to replace all the equipment that was in the weight room so they let us take everything outside and we literally have set up an outdoor weight room behind our bleachers and and we lift outside and we lift outside when it's 30 degrees and Fortunately, it's been a mild winter so far, so we haven't had horrible circumstances, but our participation has been awesome and the kids have been showing up. And we just keep reminding them, you know, control the things you can control. We can't control that a flood ruined our weight room. We can't control that if we want to lift as a team, we have to lift outside together, even if it's 30 degrees out. Uh, It's just been a really wonderful opportunity to come together. And on, on Monday when we lifted, I brought the whole team together beforehand. And I talked about Sirianni's reaction to that pass interference call. And I said, look at what he said, man. He, he, he said, control what you can control. And then you don't have to worry about the things that are out of your control. So keep showing up, keep working hard, keep doing what we're doing. And we're going to be the better for it. And I, I really respected Sirianni for that message because he didn't play the victim. And in in doing so, he he gives people like me an opportunity to sort of pass that along to my own players. So I thought that was excellent on his part.
3: Wow, that's fantastic. I'm so glad that you shared that story. There is so much to talk about with this game. But the biggest question I have is what you found out about the Pittsburgh Steelers watching the Chiefs and the Eagles play in Super Bowl 57. And that's something we are going to talk about right after this break on the Steel Curtain Network. We'll be back. Right I ain't the worst man you've ever seen. And there I am on the subway train. welcome back to steel curtain network my name is brian anthony davis kevin smith kt is with me it's the coach and he's dropping all kinds of knowledge all kinds of truths i absolutely love it i'm glad he's here with me also if you want to listen to some great stuff about your pittsburgh steelers check out let's ride with jeff hartman it was a great episode this morning with jeremy betts man they're uh a heart to heart they're they're doing it it's great stuff if you haven't had a chance to check out other shows keep on checking it out we are going to have some transition to our lineup and we're going to add and it's going to be some really good things so great stuff up ahead there might be some names that uh that are synonymous with uh, Pittsburgh Steeler talk that might be coming on here. Um, And we're going to continue doing what we do. So definitely keep on checking out Steel Curtain Network for all of your Pittsburgh Steeler needs. Now, Kevin, there's so much that I want to ask you, but it's this. This is the big thing. When you're watching this game, you're not a fan of the Philadelphia Eagles. You're not a fan of the Kansas City Chiefs. But you're a fan of the Pittsburgh Steelers. My first question was this. Actually, is this, excuse me. When you're looking at this game, how far away do you think the Steelers are realistically?
0: Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli,
1: I guess. Ha ha, in my dentist's office.
0: Just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton bank and Celtic bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply.
2: I don't think they're as far as some people think. I think uh, that they don't particularly match up well right now with either Philadelphia or Kansas city uh, or Buffalo for that matter, because those teams have two thing, two abilities that the Steelers don't right now. One is the ability to be dominant on the offensive line. Both of those teams, Philadelphia was the best offensive line in the league during the regular season. And when I went went to the phil to the Eagles Steelers game back in October, the mismatch of uh, Philly's O line against the Steelers defensive front was significant. And then you know the Eagles bulldozed their way through the playoffs with great offensive line play. But it was Kansas City's offensive line that won the Super Bowl. I mean, the ability that they had to keep Patrick Mahomes clean when he was clearly not 100% on that bad ankle uh, and their ability to, to really just neutralize an Eagles pass rush that had led the league in sacks. And so to give Mahomes really an opportunity to, just, to be Pat Mahomes was incredible. And so you look at how good both those teams are up front on the offensive side of the ball. And you realize the Steelers aren't there yet. And while the Steelers offensive line improved this past year, they definitely need to upgrade in one or two spots in order to get to that next level. And then the other thing that the, that the Eagles and uh, the chiefs can do that the Steelers don't really do right now is they create explosive plays and they create explosive plays with their scheme uh also with their players and the Steelers are going to have to to be better in in that sense and I think that they will as Kenny uh, Pickett matures and you know takes the next step next year in his second year in the league and when they when they feel more confident in in him they can get a little more creative with the scheme and maybe unleash some of the weapons that they do have because the Steelers have some nice skill players so so I don't know you know I don't know exactly how far away they are but by upgrading their offensive line and creating more explosive plays on offense, they'll give themselves a chance to compete with those high scoring, high powered offenses. Because when you go into a game against Buffalo, Kansas city, Philly, Cincinnati, you got to score 30 points. And the Steelers can't do that right now. They can win all the games where they play teams who are uh, mediocre on offense or, or have a more methodical pace. The Steelers are built right now to win 20 to 17 games they're not built to win 34 31 games and that's where they have to get to be able to be a championship contender
3: all right let's let's try the what if the pipe dream machine let's (laughs) so let's go back to uh january 9th and what if the miami dolphins lose that game to the jets The Steelers sneak in, and something crazy happens that they make their way to this Super Bowl against the Philadelphia Eagles. Do they learn anything from Week 8, or is it just a whitewashing?
2: Well, the good thing is they were a different team after the bye, and that Week 8 loss at Philly was the last game before the bye. So the bye week gave the Steelers an opportunity to – to work on some things, to reevaluate what they were doing, and and they certainly were a different team after the buy. They were much better. Whether or not they would be able to limit Philadelphia's offensive capability, I mean, the Eagles score 35 points against the Chiefs and they lose, which tells you if you're going to beat the the Eagles, you you gotta score points. Could the Steelers win a game against? Philadelphia, where the Eagles still managed to score 30 points. It doesn't look that way, but could they hold them? Could they conceivably hold the Eagles to 21, 24 points and give themselves a chance to win conceivably they could. I mean, one of the biggest benefits the Steelers had after the buys, they led the league in time of possession per drive, uh, which is an awesome statistic because you're kind of playing defense with your offense. You're keeping the other offense off the field. So maybe, given the the fact that they, that the Steelers ran the ball really, really well in the second half of the year, maybe they find themselves in a game where where they can control time of possession and give themselves a puncher's chance at the end. You know, that's
3: I'm glad you said that. You know, it's uh, it's easy to uh, it's easy to say that they would have gotten absolutely destroyed in that game, but you never know, especially in a rematch. So I'm glad you brought that up. We're never going to know the answer to that question what we need to look forward to now is the Super Bowl in 2024 and it's all about that 2023 season and the Steelers are building and you know Omar Khan and Andy Wide are going to do due diligence to have a different approach than we've ever seen and and you kind of expect that and that might include more free agents do they have a lot of money under the cap no they do not but does this team have the potential to go ahead and and pull in some free agents? So I want to go a little bit different direction. We're going to talk about, on next week's show, we're going to talk about defensive free agents across the league. But let's go ahead and look at both teams. Who in this Super Bowl could possibly help the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2023? I've got the Chiefs list and you've got the Eagles
2: list. So let's start with the Eagles, Kevin. Yeah. Well, I see two guys that uh, on the Eagles defense that are candidates for the Steelers, if the Steelers really want to get aggressive in free agency. And I'll tell you off the bat, one of them is not Javon Hargrave. And the reason is, even though I think there are some Steelers fans who would like to see him come back to Pittsburgh, uh, he's he's going to be 31 years old, and he made $13 million last year. And, and that's a big chunk to invest in, Uh, a defensive tackle who, you know, I mean, maybe he's got three, four good years left. You know, you can play into your mid thirties on the defensive line. We see that a lot, but I don't know if the Steelers are going to be willing to give out a contract in the neighborhood of 13, 14, 15 million a year to a guy who's over 30. So the two names that I really like for the one is the linebacker, TJ Edwards. I mean, the Steelers are going to need an upgrade on Devin Bush. He's gone. Robert Spillane may be gone. They're going to need a playing partner for Miles Jack. Uh, TJ Edwards can play. He is a sideline-to-sideline side line linebacker who can who can be a downhill thumper if you need him to. He's only 25 years old. Uh, he's coming off a, a year where he made $2.2 He's going to look to get paid, no doubt about that. A, a, a guy, an in-your-prime linebacker coming off of a Super Bowl run is going to want some money, but he's not going to command – uh eight figures a year and I think he's a guy that maybe will be affordable and the Steelers should take a look at and then the other guy that I like is uh on the back end I mean the Steelers are in danger of losing both Terrell Edmonds um and Monte Kazee that their three safety package I thought was excellent this past year hopefully they can retain one of them one of those two players to pair with Mika Fitzpatrick but if they if they do go look for a free agent safety, C.J. Gardner-Johnson of the Eagles is a hitter and a guy who can play in the box if they lose Terrell Edmonds. C.J. Gardner-Johnson's a guy I think would be a really, really nice uh, addition because he can do a lot of the Terrell Edmonds things, and he's actually probably a little bit better in coverage. So those are two names I would, I would really consider if I were the Steelers, T.J. Edwards and, and C.J. Gardner-Johnson
3: is there anybody on the offensive side of the ball that you would think would be a good candidate for the Pittsburgh Steelers?
2: Um, I mean, you know, they they have a a free agent guard, Isaac, Isaac Samalo, um, who, again, he's, you know, he's 28 years old. He's a, he's going to look for a, a a pretty decent payday because he's probably going to enter his final big contract. He's a guy who might look for maybe a four year deal his his uh, salary this past year was in the neighborhood of 5.3 million so he's probably a guy you got to pay maybe a little bit more than that somewhere in the 6 million dollar a year neighborhood uh, which which for a, a a guard coming off of the consensus best offensive line in the NFL is not unreasonable the decision they have to make is do they want to look to replace a guard Kevin Dotson Do they want to look to replace a tackle, which would be Dan Moore Jr.? Are they looking to upgrade the left tackle spot and then maybe kick more inside to compete with Dotson? That's sort of an interesting question. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if a guard is what the Steelers are going to be looking for in free agency. Not a starting uh, caliber guard. Um, But Sam is a really nice player. Uh, and again, you know, one of the members of probably the best offensive line in the league. Beyond him, the Eagles don't really lose a lot on, on the offensive side of the ball. They lose Zach Paschal, who's a, a like, kind of like a fourth wide receiver type. Um, you know, the running back, uh, Miles Sanders, is a free agent, but the Steelers are pretty, pretty deep at the running back spot. So I think Samala might be the only guy that they would entertain.
3: Very good. So let's go ahead and take a look at the Kansas City Chiefs. And I was looking at that list and. A lot of Steeler fans know this name, and they know Juju Smith-Schuster went for a one-year deal. I kind of think Juju is going to go ahead and get paid out there, and I think he's going to get a great opportunity. And I don't know if he fits for exactly what the Steelers need to do, but there's a guy on the offensive side of the ball who's another wide receiver. He's an unrestricted free agent. He's only 24 years old. And, well, he's going to be 25 in maybe about two weeks. But he's a fantastic kick returner, and it's Mecole Hardman.
2: What's your thoughts about Hardman? He would he would be great in the Pittsburgh offense. The Steelers really could use a guy like that who's a change-of-pace, quick-twitch guy. We, we've said this before on the show. The Steelers have fast players on offense. But they're long striders, and they don't, and they're not necessarily quick players. Uh, they've got guys that are that are good straight line uh, forty yard dash guys, but not necessarily the kind of guys who uh, can can make guys miss going vertically or going horizontally across the field, or can can make guys miss at the snap. We know Deontay Johnson is kind of that guy, but he's not he's not what I would call a burner. Um, you know, Hardman's got that kind of breakaway, you know, game changing speed where when he touches the ball, he's he's a threat to score just about any time he does. So whether he whether the Steelers think that he'd be redundant with Calvin Austin, the uh, third now available would be an interesting question. But I don't think that the Steelers would hesitate if, if Hardman was affordable because of the, you know, the big play capability that he possesses.
3: I don't think he's a guy that's going to break the bank, though, Kevin.
2: So that's interesting, right? I mean, I mean, is he? What is his value outside of Kansas City? Right? The Chiefs have a really interesting system, and their offense is kind of unique, and they seem to keep finding guys like that. You know, like the, the Hardman type, really quick twitch guys uh, who they can insert into these slot roles and and run on their jet sweeps and and do all sorts of creative things with. Does a player like that have significant value in another system? That, that'll be an interesting question, which I guess we'll find out when we see what kind of offers he gets.
3: So here's a big name on offense, Kevin. It's Orlando Brown Jr., and I think he is a guy that will break the bank. He's going to be 27 next year. He's a guy that uh, they surrendered a lot, Kansas City, to get in a trade. I think I don't think he. I think he fits on the Steelers' offensive line, but I don't think for what they're trying to do and accomplish, I don't think that he's the kind of guy that they bring in.
2: No, I don't think so either. And I think I don't think they'll have the money for him. He'll probably get. I don't know if if Kansas City franchise tags him or. But you got to go up, man. You got to go up to the top of the free agent market in order to, you know, to uh, pay for him. Like I think back to last year, like Teron Armstead was the highest paid tackle he got 15 million a year in free agency over five years he got a 75 million dollar contract so unless the Steelers are willing to go in you know kind of into that range I don't think they have a shot at Brown I don't think they're willing to do that
3: let's go to the defensive side of the ball and there's really nobody on the offensive side uh, of the, the excuse me the defensive side of the ball that I really think that they would be looking at here as far as the defensive line goes. But you mentioned the conundrum that the Pittsburgh Steelers might face at the safety position, and there's two good safeties out there that they can look at. Now, Deion Bush, he's 29 years old, so he's, uh, he's looking for that contract like you mentioned of the other guys. But a guy to me like Juan Thornhill, who is only 27, is kind of attractive to me,
2: yeah, I like him. I like him. I think he's a versatile player. He's a hitter. Um, he's a smart player. I think he's the kind of guy that, like, say, if the Steelers lost uh, Kazee, he's a guy that uh, you could sort of slide into that role. Um, he's probably a little bit better close to the line of scrimmage, whereas Kazee's a little bit better of a center fielder. But um, he's got that cerebral element to him. And I know that Kansas City uses him in a variety of ways, too. So he's an interesting name for sure. So if you had the pocketbook and you could take
3: one of these guys that we mentioned in this entire segment from Philadelphia or Kansas
2: City, who would be number one on your wish list, Kevin? I'd take TJ Edwards. I, I just know this. <laughs> our defensive coordinator at, at our high school, who, who was a, a stud linebacker in college, he was a uh, you know, a little too small to be a big time player, but he was a Division three All-American Uh, um, a team captain at Wesley college and a team that went to the national semifinals when he was there. Um, He, he can't stop raving about TJ Edwards. He really thinks that TJ Edwards is, is, uh, you know, just kind of a rock at linebacker and the kind of linebacker that uh, you can build a defense around. So, so I, you know, I, I, I I know he's not really a national name, uh, not a name that like, you know, people, the national pundits, Fawn over, but I think he's the kind of guy that if they brought, if the Steelers brought him to Pittsburgh, that Steelers fans would absolutely fall in love with.
3: But that was the same thing with a guy like James Ferrier, too. Correct.
2: Absolutely. Ferrier had a, had that higher draft pedigree, being a first-round guy, and I think maybe people thought that he might be a bust, whereas because he hadn't lit the world on fire in New York, where more so that was just a scheme and a culture problem, and he and he found the right the right pl- the spot in Pittsburgh. Uh, Edwards is a little a little more anonymous in that regard, uh, but that would be an interesting you know that'd be a uh, he'd be like a, a farrier type guy for sure.
3: So, TJ Edwards was a first team All American in 2017. He was a two time first team All Big Ten 2017 2018. I guess uh, he no longer had. T.J. Watt on the team. My gosh, they had T.J.'s on that team in Wisconsin yeah. because they played at the same time. Cotton Bowl MVP in 2017 and an FWAA freshman All-American in 2015. That's pretty impressive for your college career. And then he comes in undrafted in 2019, and now he's on the top of your list. Yeah,
2: he's a player. So I, it's funny, man. It's funny when we talk about how certain guys get overlooked for, for certain reasons. There's a conversation going on on the website today and in, in the article that I had written that, that came out on, um, on, on Tuesday, I should say about uh, Brock Purdy and, and why did, why did Brock Purdy last until the very, very last pick in the draft. And, and you look at certain, you know, just look at certain things. Oh, he's six one. So, so maybe people didn't think he was, big enough he doesn't have a cannon for an arm and so they you get into the measurables and people start to to grade you down and then he had a kind of a high profile national tv game early in the season his senior season against iowa where uh he played poorly and and that might have soured some people and they may, may have written him off and iowa state didn't have a great year and you look at kind of like these these you find reasons to talk yourself out of that guy as opposed to Hey, here's a dude who threw for 12,000 yards in college and 81 touchdowns. You know, in a in a Big 12 program. Like, let's let's take a look at that guy. Um, so yeah, you know, TJ Edwards, I mean, a guy plays at a Big 10 school in a physical school like Wisconsin and and gets all sorts of accolades but you know, maybe didn't have some of the measurables that that people love to see. So, scouting is definitely an inexact science and I and I, if I have a beef with it, it's that there's just too much put into stopwatches and, uh, you know, the t- type of tests that I think they they like to run when guys are in shorts, as opposed to what goes on inside a guy's head. What's he like when you sit down and you talk to him, and then what's he put on film? I mean, I would I would always choose those two things over the over the former.
3: That's fantastic. You know, I would. Man, I would regret it if I did not bring this up. This just happened this week. The Valentine's Day message from Juju Smith-Schuster <laughs> to James Bradbury. I was, uh, as a guy that was thrilled to see Juju win a Super Bowl, I'm just shaking my head, and I'm really, oh, it's, don't do that. We no, know, no, Juju, we no. Know
2: he does. We've so we've experienced it. We know he does juvenile things from time to time. Did you see what AJ Brown uh, hit him back with?
3: Oh yeah, I I tell you what. They handled it. Uh, Bradbury handled it with class. I loved how AJ, AJ Brown did it and Juju was like basically, I know you are but what am I? I mean it was it was just really it was the most ju- it was juvenile to start and then his comeback was weak.
2: Yeah. Yeah, AJ Brown hit him with the you're on your way out of the league and when Mahomes threw you an anchor you know, three-year-old line. So, um, I don't know. That's just, I mean, I don't know what to say about that stuff. So if, yeah, one of the beautiful one of the beautiful things about being a high school coach is you can you can go to a 16-year-old kid and you can just say, if you do that again, you're never <laughs> going to play for me ever again. And, you know, the pros are going to be like, yes, I am, because they're paying me $10 million a year. I can do whatever the hell I want, you know, so. Uh...
3: <laughs> well, Juju was going to be my nominee For dude of the week. If the Eagles would have won and Javon had a good game, it would have been the same thing. But I can't give him Dude of the Week, Kevin. So we've got to find somebody else. Well, can I
2: how about can I throw in a suggestion here? I would love it. So I'd like to nominate Isaiah Pacheco, and I'll tell you why. Oh, I like that. So so Isaiah Pacheco is from Vineland, New Jersey. Vineland is a, a a high school that we play. We played Vineland when Isaiah, Isaiah Pacheco was a freshman. He was their quarterback. Uh, they never threw the ball. He, he may have thrown the ball two or three times a game. Basically, <laughs> basically he was a wildcat quarterback. But as a freshman, I mean, he, he probably weighed about 170 pounds tops. But, you know, he ran hard. You look at his running style in the NFL. You hear people say, oh, he runs angry. He ran like that as a 14-year-old kid. And we're beating Vineland High School uh, 17 to 13 with about five minutes to go. And they get the ball on their own 20-yard line. And they drove the ball down our throat, running quarterback power, quarterback sweep, over and over and over again. And we, we had like 10 guys in the box. <laughs> and it didn't matter, man. Isaiah Pacheco was running the ball down our throat in the most excruciating manner ever, five yards four yards, seven yards, you know, we just can't stop. It can't stop. it. you're just hoping that the clock will run in time. And it didn't with about 30 seconds left, man, he runs one in from about eight yards out for his third touchdown of the game. And they beat us. Uh, but he's an awesome story, man. He, he lost his brother and his sister, both to gun violence. Uh, well, one to gun violence and the other to unfortunate, some other unfortunate circumstances, uh, he was raised in a tough environment and he's been an absolute role model to people from Vineland, which is a, a tough community here in South Jersey. And, um, and he's a very inspirational story, man. Seventh round draft pick, not expected to do much and uh, played a huge role for the chiefs in the super bowl. He's a good guy and the guy that you want to root for. So I'd like to give uh, Isaiah, even though you broke my heart back then, back then, back in 2015 or whatever year that was, <laughs> uh i'd like to give him our dude of the week
3: i love it 76 rushing yards and a touchdown yeah, i mean my gosh 5.1 yards per carry including a long of 24 yards in the first quarter but they don't win that game without the support of the run game that they had and pacheco was a big part of it i love i think that's out of the box thinking and i absolutely love it
2: so great job there yeah, I mean, it, we 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 unfortunately we can't nominate any Steelers at this point, so you got to get creative.
3: Yeah, we uh we can we can nominate one, and it's Cam Hayward. And That's real true. real quick, he's always going to be my Walter Payton Man of the Year, and we talked about this before on the show. I talked about it a lot on every single show I was on this week, but I'm just going to say it real quick. They need to get rid of that award and make it a 32-man award from every team so you don't downplay anybody else's accomplishments. And Cam Hayward, what he does, he, he came out with a tweet that says, I'm going to keep on doing it. I don't need an award to do it. I love
2: it. Yeah. Yeah, he is still the the identity of the Pittsburgh Steelers, and that's a wonderful thing.
3: And what he does off the field is just as special and you need guys like that. And every single the, we just talked about two of them by name, but there's 30 other guys in the league that won that for their team. They should all be noticed for it. So I'm saying, get rid of the award and make it the Walter Payton men of the year award. And I, I think that would be fitting.
2: Yeah. Excellent. Nicely done.
3: All right. So let's get on out of here. Kevin, thank you so much. Make sure you check out all of the shows on BTSC. We are uh, going to have another episode of Touchdown Under coming up. Another one. uh, My gosh. Have you checked out the homies yet, Kevin, on our network? I
2: did. I didn't have any idea what was going on at first because I hadn't ever heard the show before. Uh, It was great. It was a great show.
3: They are becoming my favorite show. Uh, I just absolutely... uh, Love listening to uh, um, Kevin Tate, Tate Boy Fresh, along with uh, Pay Saunders, with B Dirt, Brandon Harriet, and Sean Gurley, who's Big G. Those guys, uh, those guys are phenomenal too. So check those guys out. There's going to be another State of the Steelers with Daniel J as well this weekend. You're going to be checking out uh, all week long. We have the new Steelers update. It's just a uh, a short five to seven minute show that goes over something that happened the day before and it's your news update. And then I'm chiming in with the week that was on the weekend too. So thanks for checking us out with everything here at the steel curtain network. We can't do these shows without you. So blessings to all of you,
2: Kevin, final thoughts. Um, we are now prepping up for free agency in the draft and a uh, couple of weeks to kind of let, let some, let some dust settle and, recharge our batteries and then we're going to dive right back into that and that'll be exciting and i'm looking forward to talking about all of it with you
3: for kevin smith i'm brian anthony davis this has been the steel curtain network and here we go the steelers show i gotta remind you this keep your feet on the
2: ground and keep reaching for the hypercycling